<laughs> Welcome to the Meeple Storm Show. We're just listening to the nylon sing O Canada. And we have uh, uh, my wonderful co-host, Dylan Kirk. Not presenting. I don't know what he's doing over there. But dancing on the screen. We got Sen Fong Lin. And then we got J.R. Honeycutt, uh, a guest survivor in Trump land. So, I've noticed that you're not standing patriotically for the national oh, anthem. Yeah. Oh, did you say that? Okay. Crap, it's still on. Okay. I am totally right. standing. Okay. You just can't tell the difference. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that is how short right. I am. Well, that was the title. Sin, right. the words are stand on guard for thee, not recline on guard for thee. Well, I know, I know, I know. Welcome, JR, to the show. Uh, hopefully people are watching because it's awesome when JR's on the show. Hey, Aww. Sir Bob is watching. Awesome. So today, Daryl, tell us what we're getting into. Trouble? Well, there se- yeah, we're going to get into some trouble because there seems to be a reaction in the last week from many designers uh, that were... Let's say feathers were ruffled with the public posting of a top 10 things game designers need to stop doing. Uh, we thought it was interesting because these opinions were being shared by not designers. And uh, so whoa, we, whoa, we whoa. thought maybe designers will start talking about it. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nothing personal. But Tom Vassell does have one credited design. Actually, he has yeah. two, I think. Laser Sharks or something? Sure. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, do we want to start straight from the top? Let's just let's just walk our way down the top ten. Let's start okay. there. Okay, we're gonna so we're going to point, but All right. So we'll start with Tom's, uh, Tom, and then Sam's, and then Z's, and then Eric Martin wrote a response, and we'll we'll get to them at the end. So we don't have time to to flesh out everything, but in general, we're going to respond to each of these. At least one of us will respond to them. Okay, Tom's first one. Uh, his first pet peeve or things designers need to stop doing is asking Tom to finish their designs. Uh, and I don't know if he means Tom. He said us, him, to finish the design. So I think he means Tom. What, what are your thoughts on this? JR. Yeah, okay. I mean, if we're all just going to stop being narcissists, whatever. Okay. Dylan, what are your thoughts on that one? Sin, stop asking me to finish your sections in your show, bro. That's not what I'm here for, man. <laughs> Ask your own questions and answer them, dude. I'm not part of your community who's all invested in making board games better for everyone. I'm not about that. Do your own show, dude. Don't ask me to help you. See, this and this is what it's all about, isn't it? It's just sharing and caring. Sharing and caring, JR. No, asking to... I don't even know where to start with that because I have no idea exactly what he means by it, to be, to be perfectly honest. If it simply means that you've got your Kickstarter and you're going to uh, develop or, you know, design it while the Kickstarter is going on. I, I have no idea. The, uh, the, the question of asking uh, a player to finish the design, to, to say not to do that, first off, maybe the entire point, the entire point of your game is to have someone create new parts of a game. I mean, there are, like, Mao is a perfect example of that. It's a game about creating a game while you play it. Just, you know, telling someone to stop doing this is naturally going to just stop us from making fun, interesting games like that. Or, I think, like, make us stop asking you for stuff. Like, yeah. it makes your content less relevant. Like, what is the point of that? If you don't want it, just don't respond. Like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Daryl, what are your thoughts on this, this little question? 
I'll just jump in. Uh, I'd say it's funny because often I see videos of Tom, A, saying that he's way too busy, and so he never has time to play people's games. Two, um, I've, I rarely have played a game with Tom. I have, and I've had a great time. But one of the things that I have heard is he will never play a prototype. So I think it's really interesting that he's saying that he's finishing all these people's games, but he never plays a prototype. So um, I, I find that kind of a confusing message. So uh, that I have a concern with. I also am confused why, uh, why people in general are turning to reviewers as the major playtesters. I'm not saying there aren't reviewers out there that have that skill set, but there is a bit of a love affair going on in our hobby where reviewers are now put at the top of the pedestal of game process, you know, the game testing, the game approvals, like everything is about making reviewers happy and getting them involved throughout the process. And don't get me wrong, I think reviewers are important and they're sacrificing a lot of time, but maybe play test with game designers and developers and publishers because that's what they do. And, and, and game players, people who play and games. Game play testers. Besides all the other things they do. I mean, if they're going to play the game, I think that's a good thing. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to kind of give Tom the benefit of the doubt in a lot of ways in this one. Uh not saying that I agree with it totally, but going to somebody and saying, you know, help me finish this game, maybe it seems like a waste of time to him, but in a lot of ways uh if I practice what I preach, and I preach that game design is an emergent iterative process, then that's what game design's about, is helping people finish the design. Because a game is a big, enormous, organic thing that can change. Like Dylan was saying, Mao is one that changes in the game. But even before that is designed and, and packaged and put on the shelf, input is important in order to make a better product. So if you want a better product, have some input into it. I think that's fair. Jory R, what do you got? Uh, Tom, do you want us to listen to your opinion or not? If you don't want us to, then telling us to stop doing something isn't relevant because that's your opinion. If you do want us to, then don't tell us not to. <laughs> like, yeah. what do you want from us? Also, uh, Daryl, I don't know if you caught it. There was a really good interview from a couple of local developers, like North American developers on breaking into board games this week. And one of the things they talked about was one of the ways that you get into the industry to get full time is yeah. like doing dev work yeah. and playtesting and all these things. I know a lot of reviewers who desperately want to work full-time in the industry. That's where I started. That's where you started, I think. Like, talking about games, like, doing everything we could. Like, these things all cross over because full-time work is super hard to find. A lot of times reviewers are coming and saying, hey, like, toss me a prototype. I'll review it early. Let me give you my feedback, et cetera, because we're all trying to make games better so we can grab a foothold in our industry. And I find it super disingenuous to have somebody who's been around for 15 years, like, I don't know. I don't know that he actually implied that. It might just come from our discussion or whatever. But it's like, dude, like, we're all making stuff. Let us just make stuff. If you don't like it, say you don't like it or don't review it. Like, get off my back, man. This shit's hard. <laughs> all right, moving on to number two, starting a game company. So Tom thinks that designers should not start a game company. You know what I mean? <laughs> games we would not have if that was true. Dog, yeah. Like, I don't know. Jamie Stegmeier, 10th hours. Get out of here, guys. What are you Gil doing? Gil Holpa, former Rob Dopp. Rob Davio? I don't know. Right? Yeah, like I, I think, you know, again, I'll be the, the devil's advocate and say that there is definitely a point to this that you have to be somebody who's good at all things or partner up with somebody who's good at the business side if you want to remain a designer. Otherwise, you're just going to end up being a publisher and running a publishing company and rarely design. And there are definitely people who find themselves falling more into that category. And the ones that don't, 
are guys who have the publish the designing game down already. They know how to do it. And they surround themselves with other people who are doing the testing, the developing, who are helping them run the business side of things. Um, you know, as a one-man show, I would say, yeah, that's that's decent advice. But there are a lot of things that even in the world of Kickstarter wouldn't get wouldn't go anywhere if you didn't believe in it yourself, right? Part of this is, is just the publisher as gatekeeper fallacy. It's it's like, okay, yes, a, a game has to come up to a certain level of quality, but in some cases, publishers simply won't take a risk on something that is possibly interesting, which I think is going to be a theme throughout this, this list because if, in effect, a lot of these recommendations, if taken seriously and taken in the best way possible, are about designing yesterday's hits, not tomorrow's. So the whole, okay, don't start a game company, maybe that's reasonably wise fiscal advice for most people. But the fact is, a lot of the most awesome games won't get made because they're a little too edgy. Innovation okay. takes risk, right? Yep. Okay, so here is the thing. Even our past, funny enough, we're too quick to forget our past. If we want to look at almost every company, they start the same way in that people early on are passionate about a game, and they try to get it out there, and then they end up starting a company. And just Kickstarter is a, a different means. I mean, if we look at something like Ignacia with Portal, I mean, he's, he is a perfect example to me of, sure, he didn't use Kickstarter, but he still used early means to, and then turned into a publisher, but he's still a designer, and we wouldn't have him. And we wouldn't have Portal Games if we didn't encourage an environment where people can grow and develop and even start companies. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm on a personal journey to find validation and love in my life and to find fulfillment in whatever it is that I do. I have a personal goal. Like, don't out of context in the abstract attempt to publicly invalidate my journey by telling me that I didn't do stuff, I shouldn't do something I might find important. Like, you don't get to just like judge the journey that I'm on, right? If I want to be a publisher, I'll be a publisher. Is it challenging? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. Might I fail? Yes. Well, guess what, Tom Vassell? Creating and game design is about failure. It's about failure often. It's about intense failure that happens in ways that are demoralizing so that we can fight through it and become better. And you know what? Designing games isn't the only way that happens in our lives. Like, how many times do we give up stuff that we care about so that we can do this? We do it because we're driven. We want to get to this thing that we love. We constantly want to push over the next boundary, the next hurdle. And doing that is hard and painful and requires risks and failure. Don't tell me I can't do it, man. Like, I will do it as much as I want to. And don't tell other people who might be listening that they shouldn't, because that's where the best stuff comes from. Don't invalidate personal journeys, man. That's the reason we do this stuff. Yeah, so. I mean, I would, I would, you know, if people ask me my advice, I would say, here's, what's, here's the advice. But then you can decide. That's your decision. It's your journey, right? right. Like, don't so, unilaterally decide for people what their journey is, man. Just back off and review games. That's your job. Yes. Uh, Jesse says, flip the narrative. Stop telling each other what not to do. Start telling each other what works and why. Oh, Jesse, you must have been reading my teaching philosophy. <laughs> he was. He, 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 on, on his train ride home, he edited my teaching philosophy document. Um, I, have, I have one more answer, then I have to yeah, go yeah. to the next Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Well, that's okay. We'll allow you to do that. Give, give me one more good question that I can All right. Um, Beth wants the JR rage, though. Beth oh yeah, you got to Okay, JR, you got to almost JR, if you can cut promo on this one, I I would love it. Okay, adding more rules. Stop adding more rules. Stop ignoring development. I agree. Next. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree as well. Everybody probably agrees with that one. Yes, stop, okay. Gimme. Stop, stop playtesting with mom. Maybe if it's a mom game, playtest with 
All right. First off, Tom Vassell, my mom has mental health issues, lives 45 yards from me, and I get to see her once a month. All right. If my mom wants to play test a game, fuck you. I'm playing a game with my mom. All right. Don't fucking talk to me. Number two, don't assume that you get to like unilaterally judge people's relationships with their family. Okay. If my mom likes games and wants to encourage me, I'm going to fucking play test with her. All right. Like, don't fucking talk to me about that. You don't know my relationship. Then, you know what? If the point is, like, don't play test with the people who are most likely to be excited for you, well, why wouldn't you? I'm going to play test with my wife because she's my wife. You know, I'm going to find out if she hates it, I probably shouldn't take it anywhere. If it doesn't pass the easiest possible bar, it's time to get my ass back to work. Don't assume that I can't tell the difference between feedback from my wife and feedback from a playtesting group. Like, I fucking made 30 games or whatever it is. I know what the difference is. Don't tell me how to live my life and enjoy myself, man. Yeah, so let's again give Tom the benefit of the doubt and say that it means playtesting wider and broader than just your family. That's probably safer, right? Right. Sure, but like that still, that step still matters. Like it's still an important step. It is, it is. They're your closest, they're, they're the people you bounce your ideas off of, right? Oh boy, man, yeah. I, this thing did not make me very happy. I'm sorry, I, Tom, I, didn't, thing. I didn't mean to cuss at you, Tom. My bad, dude, you know I love you. The entire thing is really putting a negative spin on anything to do with design from my perspective. I mean, if someone wants to cover themselves in chocolate before they design their game, go right Dylan, ahead. Dylan, let me know if you do that, man. I'll vid chat with you. <laughs> that would be I'll text you my number. Yeah. I, want to see, I want to see that salty chocolate beard. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jesse is now suggesting that we get Travis a uh, chance to come on when JR can't be here, just because we know it would get salty. It would get salty. I'm not even salty. It just bugs me when people make unilateral statements about somebody else's career in life. You know what you need to not do as a designer? You need to not try to make things you're not passionate about. Figure out what you care about. Unlock that and make that thing. And when you don't care anymore, move on. And if somebody telling you not to do a thing is enough to make you not do it, then you are in the wrong field. <laughs> like, do it because you love it. Do it because you can't not, because you're literally incapable of stopping the things from coming out of you. And if you try to, you will hurt yourself because it just it's just a part of your job, of your life, to just create the things that you have inside your head. Do it for that reason. And yeah. if somebody who reviews games tells you that you shouldn't, you know what, just watch a different review channel. Like, do something else, right? Rodney, Rodney would never tell you not to do that. Rodney would never make 10 things games. That's because that he's Canadian. Doing. Rodney's Canadian. Well, I mean, like, clearly, Canadians he's still... light about it. Still in the Paris Accord, right? Objectively better than Americans. <laughs> well, it's only because we are a place of refuge. That's true. Um, oh, All right, guys, I gotta go eat Mexican food. I love you guys. Okay, we'll see Mexico, you another another country still in the Paris Accord. I'm just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Okay. Goodbye, friends. I'm Goodbye, sorry, Tom. <laughs> Tom may never see this, but well, who knows? I'm, sure, I'm sure he will, given my luck. Tom, I didn't mean to cuss at you. I'm sorry, man. But if you want to yell at me about it, we'll we'll heat up at Dice Tower Con. I promise. Oh All yeah, right. I'll see you at Dice Tower Con. Yeah. What? I know, right? A wild sin appears. I know. <laughs> you better get your Pokeball ready, buddy, because I'm 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 kind of feisty. I'm just gonna bring you a step stool. Well, that would help too. Uh, all right, let's move on. We'll see you later, Jr. So the next question is. For some reason, I have ignoring game design. Yeah. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, it was I, on the list. Uh, I, I think perhaps we should give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. You know, after he, he got he got a little excoriated there. Well, so let's let's just say like design itself is a process. It's this an is. process, and understanding the process of design in anything from architecture to Zymergy is important to you know be able to understand how to make a game, whatever. 
so there's a process. There's philosophies around that process. These are all good things. Um, so I would say instead of don't ignore game design, maybe learn a little bit about design. Learn about how design progresses in other disciplines. It's a good thing. Yeah, your, your sister is sharing the same uh, concept here. She's saying like, it sounds like the listicle was meant to be provocative and it worked. Uh, and, and stating everything as negatives and absolutes and things like that will always, <laughs> I just did well, it, will make it problematic. You know what, I, I will jump in though and say, I don't think it was intentionally as controversial for the same reasons that he intended. Oh no, I don't think so either. Honestly, believe that some of this is straight out advice because I have heard it in conversation. Um, what I think was maybe intentionally controversial was the structure, mm -hmm. but the underlining opinions I think are still revealing. Yeah, and I think they're valid. That's why I'm always giving him the benefit of the doubt when I when I play the other side of the fence. Uh, next question: Telling people your game is the next blank. And I, I, I'm going to start with okay. this one. I, I believe this is a good thing to stop doing in a lot of ways. Um, just because people get preconceived notions, people will judge you based on what you think your game is going to be the next. It, if you compare it to something that's astronomically well-received, they're going to have a very biased opinion of it to the point where they'll probably negatively rate it um, after they play it because it doesn't live up to the hype. So hype is bad. Sometimes, uh, the other thing I, that I, could be problematic yeah, with it. You were talking. I my I tuned out as soon as you said my game is the next blank. It's just something that I, I do <laughs> on a regular basis. Right. Exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> See, I, it worked. I will say though, I think there is a context for this. Mm -hmm. This is an important differentiator. We have often talked about on this show that your game needs to be good enough to replace another game on a game shelf. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I, 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 I think there, there is something important about still evaluating how your game fits within the marketplace and where it is improving or growing and developing off of. I don't think we need to be Nitsias where we don't play anything else, we don't reference any other game, and we think we're you know in this little private solo vacuum that doesn't interact with the world around us. I think other games in context need to be used as tools that we learn from and that we of other game designers and continue to explore the space that they already started for us. And so I think sometimes it is important for us to reference some of our inspirations, some of our influences, and also some of the games that may be compared because we can play the game of, oh, I don't know what this is like, but the reality is we are always influenced and we should be giving reference to the games that we are being challenged by or responding by, to. or it, you know, it, what's the word inspired by, right? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the people in the feed are, are totally respecting that as well. And, and uh, the word context came up even before you said it, Daryl, like Gwen and Jesse are saying context matters that, you know, your, if your only pitch is, Hey, it's this game plus this game, you might have a problem unless you have already design credibility behind you. And so that's another way to think about it is that maybe some of this uh, advice that the Dice Tower team is giving is to people trying to break into the business. Maybe not people who already successfully did it. Uh, that a lot of the people who did successfully do maybe start a business out of this, they're 
probably not the average story. They might be rarities, right? Rare unicorns in the world, more so than the average person. But that does not mean you can't do it, right? Uh, next question. Um, oh, this is an interesting one. So top 10 things designers need to stop doing is substituting funny for good. Hmm. What do you think, Dylan? Wow, totally subjective. What exactly. is good? It's, it's so subjective. You can't, I, you can't even really wrap your brain around that at all. It's it's completely, it's a non-statement. I mean, <laughs> when when we uh, uh, were looking at, um, okay, my mind's going blank now. Uh, there are some people for whom humor is the spark to a creative process. Just because something's trying to be funny doesn't mean it's not also trying to be good. Mm -hmm. uh, a funny is a start to many, many good things. Uh, I mean, if we're talking about Kitty Kyle, who's who states that basically puns are her inspiration, uh, like that's that's a start of a design process. Some people, it's other stuff, but like again, it's it's like denying someone a germ or a beginning to a design process that would lead to a game that's really their own design. Attempting to hinder someone in this way, it's counterproductive. It's really interesting because I wish JR was here because JR's uh, last big thing on Facebook, maybe not the last big thing, but maybe a day ago, was um, he admitted that Munchkin is an amazing game design. And I would love to hear what he says about that today. Uh, in rel relative context to this, uh, because you know, yes, I will agree that sometimes funny wears thin and after you've gone through the funny, if there's no game left, then what is it? It was just a humorous hook, right? Uh, your sister said it best actually, don't she said, not everyone can oatmeal their way through a game, right? True enough. Yeah, True and so enough. funny funny will get you in the door, but what, what keeps you playing the game after that has to be deeper than just the humor. And I think that's what they're getting at. Maybe, I don't know. know, depends on how you look at the game. Do you want it to be a game that yeah. you play all the time or that 40 million people play once? Well, or even, you know what's crazy to me is that people still play Cards Against Humanity many, mm -hmm. many, 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 many times. Well, yeah. I don't get it. But there are lots, I mean, a lot of people that are being satisfied and are having an incredible experience with their friends playing a game where the priority was humor. <laughs> yeah. So, and we would deem that game not good or not well designed. And yet, because of humor, millions of people enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And again, I'll go back to the part where I said, you know, if humor is the only hook that, and you're not creating the humor. Right, so in Cards Against Humanity, the humor is emergent from the game, as opposed to a lot of things where it's like a funny piece of flavor text. After you read that flavor text once, maybe twice, maybe three times, it starts to lose the funny. It's like that Simpsons episode. Uh, you know, oh, did you ever see the Simpsons episode where he's twiddling his thumbs? And it's like do 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 do, and you know that eventually he'll end. But the funny part is when he ends, because humor is that that kind of timing is impeccable when it's like you ended at just the right time where one more time would have been not funny at all. The whole joke would have fallen flat if you did it one more time. But you guys stopped it at the five times after doing it. It's just like any parody song. Uh, unless you're Weird Al, parody songs go on usually one verse too long. Because mm -hmm. right? then the, 
the parody's done. That's uh, my humor's the humor's no longer funny anymore. So I think that might be where they're coming from, as opposed to emergent from the game. Games like But Wait, There's More. Games like Cards Against Humanity. Games like Apples to Apples. As you notice, they're all very similar games in a lot of ways. Super Fight. All those types of games where the humor is actually created by the players. I think is a very different beast. Um, next question. Oh, okay. Uh, following the latest buzz. This is an interesting one. So, uh, Roland writes is the latest, is one of the latest buzzes, you know, that Sue's kind of single-handedly championed on Twitter. Uh, and then all of a sudden you saw this upswell of designers saying, I'm going to design on Roland Wright. I mean, I tried and Daryl did one and lots of people are doing them. Uh, but following the trend, current trend, does that put you six months behind, actually? What do you think, Daryl? Well, I, I'd actually push and say he's actually seeing the trend that games got signed two years ago. So it's a weird thing to say that don't follow a trend, yet all these different publishers separately, beknownst to each other, identified some trends, <laughs> signed them, developed them. Some took a year, some took two, and then they all convolute out. And then we complain that there's too many and it's oversaturating the market, but they weren't there in the first place. The market demanded it and then people responded. So uh, I think that actually just shows that designers are really good at identifying what's next. And that when you see a flood like that, that means that there was probably an opening. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's ever bad to design a game. I think designing a game is fine. It's designing with expectation that it will get signed and picked up and published right now. Because in two years from now, there might be a need for, you know, roll and rights because everybody's, you know, done them two years ago. Uh, I mean, we see the resurgence of uh, big, box, big box games, whereas two years ago it was like, give me a micro game. Three years ago it was give me a, you know, something that plays fast under 45 minutes. Now, you know, there's that pushback or maybe it's just cyclical rotation of things really is probably more what it is where we're seeing like, oh, yeah. Now we're getting more big, spot, big box games that aren't necessarily the three hours. Now we're down to two hours. And we'll, we'll, as we do every rotation, we're going to kind of probably come to more of that happy medium of where the current climate likes it. And I think that's okay. So designing to a trend may be only bad if you expect that to hit immediately. But if you're a Kickstarter guy, that might not matter to you because yeah. you put it up on Kickstarter, you get the funding. It's going to come out a year later anyway. So who knows? Um, Dylan, do you have any points on that one? Nah, it's really just a kind of, if I had asked my customers, they would have asked for a faster horse kind of, uh, kind of moment. The, uh, it was the tastemakers that, that saturated the market, just like, uh, just like Daryl said. And if like, like I'll say for every single one of these, if you want to start with, something that's trending right now yes you're a year to six months behind the uh behind the eight ball but it doesn't mean you're you're not going to start something that's completely wildly different and interesting or that that trend isn't going to go on forever like it seems zombies do right right um and so i think a lot of of times it's just more couching all of that in the idea of you know, not hinging your hopes on instant publication and things like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's let's uh, go on to the next question uh, or the next point from Tom was wasting time copywriting. Okay, you guys hit this up and I'm going to hook Jesse up, okay? That's... Daryl. All right, what? <laughs> Don't wasting waste your... time copyright, copywriting. 
don't well first of all you mean trademark yes he does <laughs> uh which is just funny um because it's like such a common stance that's like one of my go-to ways of finding out if a designer has designed anything before is if they say copyright or trademark um so that's um but also trademark i mean you can go for it i'd understand maybe from a self-publishing kickstarter side which earlier in this list was shunned anyways um but assuming you're a designer that is oh it just exploded yeah bada bing bada boom uh i would i would recommend uh being open-minded and have a open hand on more than just even just a name because there's a good chance your theme or your art or your mechanic may evolve through the development process anyway so this idea of trademarking and trying to lock down your game is really not where you want to go jess do you have any input on the whole copyright trademark patent spend your time designing <laughs> right? Yeah. And if I mean, you really want to spend money, spend your money on buying prototype components. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or a plane yeah. ticket to a convention. Notice notice he said don't not design. He said spend your time designing. Yeah. yeah. A positive statement. <laughs> positive right there. Yeah. I, I, I would also I would caveat this. There is a mass market toy factor world speaking into because I do not have the experience uh, to talk about trademarking those kind of products. So if you're like a New York toy fair and you invented like thing that flies and, well, and that's more patent. Up, then, then you're probably going to need to explore that whole world. But we are just to clarify, we are talking more hobby style games, card games, board games, strategy yeah. games. So just, just to clarify, party yeah. games. So as a non-lawyer, totally not a lawyer here, just to clarify what different things are. So copyright protects your written work, things like mechanics, the rules, whatever. And while mechanics are uh, not protected, the actually you wrote them are. So as soon as you write them, they're actually protected by copyright. Um, so that's one thing. Trademark is the name of your thing uh, and the trade dress is how that looks and the box and all that kind of stuff. And then your patent is the mechanical process by which you made this thing or by how it works. And so in toy, uh, where games are more toys or toys are more games or vice versa, you may be looking more at trademark, trade dress and patent than you would ever be looking at copyright. So copyright really does not apply. So really don't waste your time doing that but look into the other stuff as well. Uh, also, as a note, um, so your poor man's uh, protection of mailing yourself stuff does not work in North America. May work other places, but definitely not North America and probably not Britain either. So anyway. Don't do it uh, here. Don't do it here. Pardon me? I said just, yeah, I was saying just don't do that here. Yeah, don't it's not going to work. You can do it. It just won't afford you any legal standing. Um Let's see here. Okay, uh, designing to a popular IP. And it's funny because you're speaking with uh, three of four people who that's what we do for a lot of our, our design is designed with IPs. Um, and so I never say don't design to an IP. I say uh, cut the IP out, see if the game still plays. If it plays well, great, pitch that game. 
If it doesn't play well, then you probably had too much that was couched in an IP that you don't own, that the publisher probably doesn't own. And that's the problem is that if you design to an IP, there may be issues with who owns that license. Can you access that person? Do they even want a game or need a game? And so it's more like a not a waste of your time, but not necessarily the best effort spent to sink your idea totally into that unless you can pull that IP out and still plays like a good game. Daryl has a point. <clears throat> I would just love to jump in and just say, especially to clarify, if someone really wants to make a game in that world, the only way you're going to do it is make a game in that world. Yeah, do it. And then yeah, sue the person who has the rights to that and convince them to sign your game. Yeah. Or... If you love it that much. Yourself, or... Because... Or, what else you got, Dylan? StarCraft. <coughs> StarCraft. Uh, started as kind of in between a, an homage and a potential Warhammer game. Uh, and it's, it's kind of now lore, way back in the mists of the 90s. Um, but apparently, this is where... Blizzard was attempting to go with with the design, but it, it didn't necessarily work out for whatever reason. Um, they kind of came out with a good game, great lore, their own movie, where Warhammer doesn't have their own movie, and I'd say they're doing pretty well for themselves. Uh, just because you can't get an IP doesn't mean you shouldn't try to design the game, and it doesn't mean you can't make better damn lore. Yeah, I, I just want to emphasize, too, it's becoming more and more possible to pursue uh, either licenses yourself through different conventions that are becoming more and more available. Uh, just last last week in Las Vegas was a significant license expo. People could have made the arrangements, like Jesse was saying, spend that money on an airplane ticket, go to a, the con that you need to be at, if you need to be at the con that convinces Blizzard that they need a board game, then guess what? You need to go see Blizzard, and you need to knock down their door. Like, you need to keep trying to make an appointment and just whatever it takes. Find contacts. Try to network. Go to mixing events. Whatever. That's what you're going to need to do. Or find publishers that work with licenses. There are now at least half a dozen own accessible companies that have access to numerous licenses that you can interact with them at all the major conventions. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, another thing to note is that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's uh, design what you love and the passion will flow yeah. from you into your design. And I think that's a great thing. Um, it is, it is, a lot of money and a lot of effort to pursue a license by yourself. Um, and so that's probably the only reason why I would say, you know, think about it before you, you start going down that road. Um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of effort to do that kind of thing. Uh, Jesse, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm still here. You guys are just saying great things, so I was happy to let you carry on. Oh, um, I, I, just, I just can't see your your video's not moving anymore in my little screen, so. Oh, great. Now it is. No, 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 you're, you're fine now. Um, I, yeah, I was, I was going to say what you just said. Like, 
Um, one thing that strikes me about uh, what, what tends to come up in the sort of advice column when IP games come up in design discussions uh, is, is there's an assumption that there's a specific pathway that the designer is envisioning for bringing their game to reality. And as you guys have just demonstrated, there is an infinite number of ways that a game designed for an IP might become published. And so just because one of those pathways is highly unlikely, excessively difficult, or a very bad idea, um, like trying to pursue the uh, license yourself if you don't have an independent source of income that is able to support you while you do that, doesn't mean that you shouldn't make the game that you're excited about and love, sort of like JR was promoting earlier. Um, and then when you have a great game on the table, figure out how to get it made. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And it might morph into something completely different, like. Warhammer right. turned into StarCraft, which is awesome. Exactly. I mean, for me, designing to an IP is a design heuristic. I only accidentally have gotten involved with actually designing IP games. <laughs> um, and, but like, I, I have a hard time, I have lots of ideas that I have a hard time coalescing them into something coherent. And so latching onto IPs I'm passionate about gives me something to ground my, my crazy mechanical idea spiraling um, without, you know, getting me into crazy thematic idea spiraling. Right, and I think that's a really good way to put it, is it becomes a design tool yeah. to base your, your mechanics around. Cool, let's move on. Uh, now we're into Sam's Sam's questions, or Sam's points. Uh, roll, <laughs> rolling for movement, uh, rolling for actions. What do you think about that? Stop doing that. Stop using roll to move, roll for action mechanics, mechanisms. Yeah, because people stopped playing Monopoly years ago. It's incredible. Yeah, but we're still playing Formula Day, right? Of course. Yeah, and I, I think I think um, again unilaterally saying don't do this. Yes, it's a, a mechanic that is or mechanism that is maybe under underutilized or utilized poorly. That might be the word, but I think there are some brilliant roll and move games out there. Uh, and I think uh, one of the things roll roll for actions. I might tend to agree with more in that um, you never really want to be limited by randomness in what you can do, per se. But I think there's ways around all of that. I think you can design, if a good designer should be able to take role for action and role for movement and design a completely good game around it. Okay, Daryl, you're a good designer. Go ahead, design one right now, on the spot. How would you do it? Well, uh, I, I am doing a, I know. a role for, for actions with Chris Leader. Um, when it comes to uh, City of Gears, um, I would I would point maybe to better examples that are already out there. Like Coliseum is a phenomenal roll and move game. Mm -hmm. uh, I you know designed by Kramer and Kiesling, reprinted just recently by Tasty Minstrel Games. Uh, I I think the question is just do it well, and that we have a lot of examples of it done poorly. Associate. Uh, an oversaturated poor examples with the mechanic and instead I would I mean I would point to like deck builders stop doing deck builders then oh, a lot deck deck builders. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like at the end of the day I know, like, I know. we can just randomly pick a mechanic I mean you could say trivia you could say the apples to apples mechanic right like the end of the day it's just do it well mm -hmm. And if people are yeah. enjoying themselves, then you made it a game that creates an enjoyable experience. And if you make yeah, the, a game the implementation is important, right, Daryl? Yeah. 
it's redundant not, not, and not it's and sure people are not going to respond to it and there's no interesting story there's no interesting choices he's clearly never played devil bunny needs a ham <laughs> um andy's asking is there any specific specific mechanical mechanic sorry is there any specific mechanic that's off the table even if it's done well no Mm-mm. That's actually like if it's done well, it's already on the table. (laughs) It's proven. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, yeah, this is a. I ranted about this earlier this afternoon. I think immediately after Daryl ranted about it on a Facebook thread, um, that we we have this tendency to uh, associate mechanics with goodness or badness. But the thing is, mechanics mechanics are just tools just like themes they're design tools what matters is the broader game you've situated them in and how they work yes roll and move inherently has no decisions involved in it but sometimes that's the point right i mean imagine how exhausting a game like formula day would be if it actually made you just make you also make decisions about how many spaces you were moving like they had some other mechanic besides just roll dice and move that many spaces It'd be an incredibly heavy, brain-burning It'd be a simulation, hero. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so sometimes the point of a mechanic is not for players to make decisions about it. It's to simplify some aspect of the game, to allow the rest of the game system, the actual fun parts of it, to shine and come through and to function. Right. So my example for roll and moves that, are, that work well is Basari. Basari, if you've ever played it, is only play it with three, never with four. <laughs> is a game where you roll dice to move, but your where you move then ends up being your action choice, uh, and it is actually super tense and super interesting to figure out where to go based on this die roll, um, depending on what you want to do. Now, I guess when it's absolute, like roll a three, and that's all you can move is exactly three spaces. Sure, I guess it's not fun, but my kids still love life and things like that because. They're not about the strategic decision of, do I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or this? They just want to roll and play and experience the game. So there's a different level of of play as well, right? That's right. You are not the only audience of game players. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Andy is clarifying and saying that, no, I am saying uh, no mechanic should be off the table if done well. And yes, we agree. We agree. Everyone agrees. Even Dylan, right? I do. Even singing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> all right. Okay, Sam also does not like it when designers hold back core parts for expansions. Agree. I mean, I agree. What do you think, Jess? Well, Daryl was also doing the waffling thing with his head, so. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, uh, I, I don't know. I think it depends. Um and sometimes when you're working with a, with a publisher, part of what's supposed to be great about the game is that it's expandable, which means you need to design a core that has space for expansion. Um, and that may look like to, uh, to consumers, like you left something important of the game off for the purpose of an expansion. I think that's just a matter of designing, uh, like, like there's a way to do it well and a way to do it uh, poorly. And the sort of metaphor I've been thinking is there's a difference between leaving holes in your design to be filled with expansions and creating plugs that you can attach modules onto that make the game different or better. Yeah, that's um, a good way of looking at it. So. Dylan, your point. 
So I, I may have to backtrack because uh, one very, very large example stands out. And uh, you may know this, but Settlers of Catan was originally designed basically with all of the junk in the expansions put thing. in. And what, uh, yeah, what was at the time a completely unworkable, insane and, and useless game was kind of boiled down to its core, became world famous. And then all of those expansions could be stuck on and actually work, like actually had something really, really workable from the, from the center to build onto. Maybe we can change it to say, okay, like if you've got a complete game, you can stop there and keep on adding on modules as you, as you want, even if you think they should be in the core game. Maybe that's a useful design strategy. I don't know. Worked worked for Settlers of Catan. It'll work for you. But yeah, I should backtrack a little bit on that one. That's okay. Daryl? Well, I mean, that's a great example Dylan shared. And I think in general, there's a few different questions you have to ask. I think uh, Jesse used great language that we could use when it comes to holes. Another example might be layers. And uh, when you want people to learn a game and learn a core system, you can't throw the whole kitchen sink at them and for example we complain about learning games well if if an entire game is thrown at you the first time you play then it's not very accessible and you may lose your audience before you gain an audience yeah. also i think another important thing to consider is we're not just designing games but we're designing products and products mean that we need to factor in other factors like affordability shipping uh things like that also that we need to make games accessible so that sure Maybe a hardcore gamer, uh, more of the BGG or Dice Tower uh, audience might be interested in a more complex game. There's lots of my games that when I add all the layers on, they scare a lot of different types of playtesters away. And we want to have games that people can experience. So I have no problem with with finding elegant solutions to making a game accessible and an easy product for people to approach and then layering on even things that seem integral later in the process, as long as the scaled down or cooked down version is still a good experience. Yeah, that's what so Sir Bob is saying. Yeah. Make a good experience small and then yes, even if it's core, introduce it later. And that's just like leveling up or learning in lots of different games. If you were to say, why didn't I get all of the tools and rules in my level 90 of my video game? Because you couldn't handle level. the tools. You could not handle the tools. <laughs> <laughs> so Sir Bob is saying exactly that. If you're caught, if you get caught for this, maybe you had an uncompelling core game. Right, and that's that's kind of the truth of that matter. Uh, I think Daryl's point about accessibility, learning curves, all those things, is exactly right. And it kind of leads into the the next question of ignoring the replayability issue. So I know Daryl has thoughts on this, and I share most of those thoughts. Uh, so let's go to Jesse and Dylan first. Jesse, what are your thoughts on replayability? Should a game be eminently replayable all the time, all the time, all the time? I think that people should really think about what they mean by replayability um, because it gets, it gets messed up with, with like variable and chaotic setup, which often doesn't actually amount to a replayable game. Um, just because I, I put pieces out differently on the board, 
um, when we start the game doesn't mean that it's a meaningfully different game experience than the previous one. But also replayability doesn't necessarily come from having a meaningfully different game experience. There are tons of games that we replay over and over and over again because they will consistently deliver the same really good game experience. Haha, <laughs> that's, that's the JR rationalization of Munchkin right there. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. I just think he's wrong to call it uh, like high quality design. I, I think, anyway, this is a semantics issue about what I think design means. <laughs> right. um, I, get, I get you. I get you. I get you. Right. But, uh, but yeah, so I think, so I think that um, what we it's want like, I like is. Star Realms. Right. Um, what we want is we want games that like can consistently deliver on a good experience. And for some games, that means having a ton of moving parts that come together differently in lots of different ways. And that's great. And for other games, it means being the same. What we don't want, or I, and I shouldn't say this because actually there's an example of us actually wanting that, is a game that we can only play once. Exception, those escape games, which are actually quite fun and worth the sticker price, but you only get to play them once. So maybe we don't want replayability. I have maybe, three maybe you examples. want a curated experience. Go ahead, Del. Uh, it's possible. Uh, right. So three th I took this in a slightly different way, and my three points are uh, Legacy, Jab, and Train. Uh, legacy, of course, will never be the same game twice, and it's meant to end. The, uh, it's a storyline. It's an arc. It ends. Uh, can you ever play that again? Mm, I don't know. It's, it's an experience. Uh, jab, can you ever actually play Jab again? Because every single Jab a game is a brain-burningly level-up experience where you will always beat someone who's never played before, basically. Like, at a certain point, there's such a, such a high level of play in Jab that you'll, you'll never be playing the same game again. Uh, finally, Train was meant to be only played once because it's an experience. Uh, it was designed to only be played once. The designer specifically only wants people to ever play it once. That's what it was designed for, because it was designed for impact, and it was more art than necessarily something that will ever be sold. So yeah. three examples that kind of curve that, uh, like show my interpretation of that, that particular restriction. Mm -hmm. Daryl, any points? Yeah, I mean, uh, people have heard us rant about it before, but I think if anything we need to worry about our first time experience being incredible more than replayability if you don't have a good first time experience why are you going to come back to the game i also also think it's important to understand that replayability is probably more a factor of who you play with than what you're playing so if you want to share an experience and then have a different experience play the game with new people and it better be a good experience right like the first experience needs to be a hit uh, and so I think Sam's questions in, or points in terms of holding back on core parts for the expansions and ignoring replayability kind of almost sound like they're linked in a way that he wants you know, more of the game to have more parts and moving things. So maybe that's just his player profile, right? Yeah. Um, Sam's next point is being okay with mediocre artwork. I'm not sure what to say about that. Well, I do know exactly what I'm going to say. But... Well, I, I, I know what I'd love to say. Is Sam offering to pay to increase? All games artwork quality because I think every game company in the world will take them up on that offer. Yeah, right. So there, there is a. I guess maybe it, it sounds like a lot of his comments again with holding back on core parts and things like that sound more like a Kickstarter experience I don't idea. Know. I think he'll he would point to like a terraforming Mars, which I do find disappointing in art. Sure. And say. 
there should have been a greater investment. But the reality is, as much as even I am disappointed by that art, it's a lot of pieces. When you have that many individual cards, people have no idea how expensive that is. It's really expensive. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, we're getting some comments on the feed from some people who actually are professional artists, like Andy Jewett and Gwyn, uh, who are saying, yeah, they can't stand to look at things that are not pretty. And Andy's saying that obviously, ideally, art would always be great. The problem is budget, time constraints. Um, and if you're looking at the Kickstarter world, sometimes it's people who actually don't know art, who don't know from art, or don't know how to do game art, and might know how to illustrate, but don't know graphic design. And I think uh, so one of the biggest points that we talk about on this show is separating the two things. There's graphic design, which is super important, and there's illustration, which is on the final product, very, very important because it's your first thing that you see. It's that eyes forward, grab that box off the, off the, the shelf type of thing, right? Um, Dylan, what are your thoughts on being okay with mediocre artwork? Oh, life is too short for bad art. But I think it's actually also a taste problem. Like, you, you can't necessarily be good at business, logistics, blah, 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 picking games and stuff like that, and also be a good judge of art. Maybe you need an art director. Maybe. Like, maybe. Maybe you do. Just like when Gav was working on an eminent domain, he was actually directing the art, and it made it really hang together. Mm -hmm. Awesome job, guys. Maybe you should think of hiring an expert to do that. Yeah, the artists and Beth Sobel. I forgot Beth Sobel is also on the on the feed. And uh, if you know anything about Beth's work, she is highly sought after in the board game industry for illustration and artwork. She's awesome, and she's saying that graphic design is always a better place to spend your money. And Andy Jewett, who is also a graphic designer and illustrator, says function over form. Said the artist. So. Um, Let's, if we separate artwork into those two things, I would be better off with mediocre illustration and I would not be happy with even close to mediocre graphic design. It has to be better than mediocre. Think about yeah. it this way. Yeah. A, plant, a plant in the wrong place is a weed. Beautiful art in the wrong place is just distraction. But graphic design is knowing where to put the right stuff so the eye goes there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, function before form. Andy's just clarifying. Uh, Jesse, what are your thoughts on illustrations? Or oh, sorry, you know, mediocre artwork. I'm deferring to the artists in this one. Yeah, yeah, they, they're, they're really letting them, letting their colors fly. Whoa, nice. It would be like doing a top 10 list and telling another subgroup what they should do. Right, like, hey, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> right, but we didn't really tell them what to do. They're telling us, I'm telling you what they're saying. No, no, I'm telling them what not to do. Top 10, oh. Yeah, good stuff. Daryl is insulting the list. Yeah, and the other thing that you guys should know, um, as designers, if we sign with publishers, we have little to no say over what happens in graphic design and art, uh, up to the point where it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense anymore because it doesn't tell me the information that it originally was supposed to. So graphic design, we have a lot more say over than illustration. But some, some publishers are completely hand off. They take it and they do with it what they will. So again, Sam's question, maybe not a designer question. Or Sam's point, maybe not a designer point. Moving on, uh, Sam says, stop using X theme because it's popular. Hmm, interesting. What do you think, Jesse? I think I should unmute myself when I want to I talk. I think you should too. 
not mute myself when I want to talk. Um, I actually think my, my opinions on this are actually the same as IP, um, which is that, I mean, just do what you want. Like, do what you're passionate about. Um, if the theme excites you, just design for it. It turns out that theme's pretty mutable anyway, so go with what you got, try to pitch it. If nobody's picking it up because all the publishers are sick and tired of zombie games, go back to the drawing board and think about carefully whether or not it needs to be zombies. But like, mm -hmm. don't put all, there's so many of these considerations that shouldn't even like, that shouldn't stop you until you have a game on the table that's functional. That's right, don't let it stop the process. The design process. If you have a dwarf game, please pitch it to Travis Chance. <laughs> yes, 100%. If you have a game about people that are my height or shorter, Travis yeah. Chance is your man. That's it. He loves them, and he just wants to see all of the dwarf games. All the dwarf games. But no, I would echo what Jesse said. I would also say that once you start pitching games and you start to hear a trend come up, like publishers feel like something's being too done, then ask questions like, what are they looking for? And it's not a bad thing to then adapt in intelligent directions. Mm -hmm. So if a publisher is like, hey, I make this game and I'm looking for a follow-up in this world, it wouldn't be a bad idea to think about that world then. Mm -hmm. So you really need a worker placement. I, mean, to be intelligent, I don't think it's a bad thing. No, right? Uh, Dylan, did you have, um, you wanted to go back to IP for a second? It kind of links up with this one. Well, I just had a random other geeky uh, point about uh, if you're actually developing IP and you, you really want to get through. I happen to know uh, about guys from Piranha Games who, uh, you know, like it or leave it, they are a development company in, uh, in Vancouver, but they started uh, by 1999 making a, uh, a Half-Life mod uh, in the Die Hard universe and they were sent numerous cease and desist orders until finally they went to the producers and said we can make this game for x amount and the producer said okay so maybe you just don't take no for an answer and you end up becoming an extremely successful uh game publishing company that's now working with battletech yeah right so there you go yeah daryl you want to fill well, us in on that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing? Yeah, well, so a funny another story. Kind of, we, we've been talking about IPs. We've been talking about art and what is good and what is bad. And it, things like, you know, uh, don't do bad art. And uh, It's funny because I'm, like, getting to do one of my dream IPs with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming up. Uh, Adrian and I co-designed the game. The game was not designed with... We pitched it. It was four heroes versus two villains. We had created our own folklore and everything, and it was docketed to be a while because we were going to build a whole lot of folklore and scenario books and yada yada. Short, long story short, it we find out Turtles is an opportunity. We spend a ton of time converting the game. We make it, it we feel like the game became better and better because of the license, because then that kind of, uh, like, I, I appreciate Jesse's work, grounded a lot of our ideas because then that gave us very specific yeses and nos of what's possible in that world to be true to the license. Um, and then the funny part is the, the last curveball in the story just happened literally two days ago. So the final... Ooh, I, don't, I don't know this. This is fun. No, so... Uh, final art comes through walls with green pipes. 
And I was like, oh, I thought we were going to be walking in the sewer pipes. And then that was going to be the walls or like rubble walls between the sewers. And they were like, no, we decided to go with grapes that you're walking on. And then there are pipes that act as the walls. Well, first, actually, rewind. A week ago, the walls were just water. So if they weren't <laughs> great, which I was like, that does not block line of sight. So this is a problem. So then two days ago, I get the version sent to me. Hey, by the way, this is what we're going with. Um, I printed it out and I put it in front of people. And the very first thing every person wants to do is go through the pipes. Right, because they're like Cause Mario people. All over the board. It's like Mario. It's like, whoop. And I'm like, wow, that is super fun. But a problem. Because that changes movement for our game. But intuitively, we have discovered a really fun thing that's super thematic that was not incorporated in the original design. And so we have a, a meeting that we do. Well, the art is done. We, we need to move forward with this. So we either build in the rules an unintuitive rule of saying, don't go through the pipes, people, as much as you want to. Or, because it's fun, we are going to test how we can slow down the characters, which we already have. How we can slow down the characters so that that's a viable strategy. Mm-hmm. And so we that's discovered great. another layer to the game through the iterative process that I think is going to make the game even better or break it. We'll find out. <laughs> Worst case, we'll have to see in the rules. Don't go through the pipes. The pipes, are, right lava. Now, the pipes are lava. The say pipes that. could have lava inside them. But at this point, we're going to test if you can go through them. So I just, again, this is, a to me, a funny story of just even the process of art and good art, and IP, and trying to design. And even when you think you're done, you're not done. And you go and you just follow the fun and it's just a mess. But sometimes it hopefully works out. Yeah, and, and then it also goes back to, you know, play testing, a- asking your play testers to finish your design for you. They're, you're not asking for it. You wish they wouldn't have, but this is the I, most intuitive way to that, play this game. Oh, I yeah. can't unsee this. I can't yeah. unsee your move. <laughs> can't be unseen. All right, moving on. Uh, Sam's uh, sixth point is... Stop thinking that more components make a better game. Why did you have to say such a horrible thing, Sen? I don't know. I didn't I, I didn't I just I said it. I didn't write it. I said it. Point, Jesse. Who thinks that? Uh, Sam apparently does. I don't even think Sam does. Because his other points make it sound like he thinks the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. But personally, I mean so I I personally fall under this school of design though but that's my that's my ethic that's my school of design yeah but you buy minis <laughs> i buy them for the kids the kids <laughs> like the minis yeah that's what they all say that, that's what i say too as a dad you know yeah yeah dad wink dad wink um, was that my was that my right eye yeah right yeah. <laughs> um I, I mean there's a point where too much is too much but Sure. But I imagine there are also games, and I don't have any coming to mind immediately, but maybe one of you guys do, where more is better. Where the fact that there is a ton of, you know, cubes in the box makes the game experience better, even though whatever the cubes were doing might have been able to be done with less components, more efficiently, with a slight tweak to the mechanism. The fact that there's piles of stuff is valuable. I mean, in fact, the thing that comes to mind when I say that is dice in Warhammer. The fact that there is a hundred of them in your hands is kind of where the fun is. Yeah, but the thing is that they don't actually come with the box. I know. know, That's the kind of thing I mean, right? 
Yeah. So. Um, well, I mean, let's talk about Sagrada. Well, let's talk about Sagrada. Oh, I was just going to say, I, well, okay, Sagrada as well. I mean, there's a lot of dice in that game, but I was going to point to all the custom meeples we have now, all the, like, blinged out factors. I mean, those aren't necessary. That's just adding weight and, and substance to, mm -hmm. like, not substance to the game. It's all chrome. Get all that extra chrome. It's super fun. Everyone talks about how beautiful it is. Yeah. People yeah, go, I mean, oh, wow, this is so why do we even beautiful. put art on anything then? Yeah. Uh, just so, all getting blank boxes. There yeah, Gwyn and Andy are talking about perceived value. They're talking, you know, about user experience as being the important thing. And all those components add, typically add to that. Okay, my most, my most valuable um, and pretty much superfluous uh, component in the game is in... Um, incognito, the head that that has the marbles in it. That's love that like, head. I know, right? Who doesn't love that head? Because it's, it's so cool. Yeah, I mean, you could have done that in so many different ways, like with a set of die, but dice. Sorry, uh, but it's it's so cool that it allows you to do that. Uh, and Daryl's showing Sagrada here. So Sagrada, when we originally played it, when Daryl first designed it, did not have recesses, did not have sliding card slots, did not have, you know, all the stuff that's in it, but it makes for a better user experience, a much better user experience. You know what's hilarious about this board is on the Kickstarter experience, Ben said, I can make the game cheaper for everyone. Yep. If we, if we can just put the steeple like this. Yeah, that, and this, I, that would have been a no-sell no for me, buddy. And all of this serves zero function, but the entire Kickstarter board went livid, and then he spent the rest of the 25 days calming everyone down that he was an idiot, and he would never do that. He kind of the is. funny part is, it would, it would be a smaller box. Everyone, it'd be environmentally more friendly. There's so many levels that you could argue for it, and yet... Everyone pretty much universally argued. It's beautiful. I mean, why why wouldn't you want that? I don't know. Okay, moving on. Next point. Um, Sam is wondering why we don't stop including impractical gimmicks. I'm not sure what he's talking about. I didn't. Mouse I didn't. Trap. Mouse trap. Like, I, I mean, half of the entire thing is you've got a Rube Goldberg machine, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And the fact that it's impractical is actually a central part of the design. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I love it that game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesse, what are your thoughts on, on impractical components and gimmicks in a, in a game? Do you know of any? I'm trying to think of, like, what he might have in mind when he's saying that. Um, like what kinds of games one might look at and say, oh man, that one's just got an impractical gimmick. Um, because if a game is being sold on the basis of a gimmick, it's almost certainly not impractical um, because it works and that's what's making the game sell, right? Like I can see being, as a, as a, a game connoisseur, being frustrated with gimmicky games. Um, but I don't know of any, ga no games are coming to mind that are sort of, except... I mean, maybe my immediate thought, just because the box is sitting over there, is something like Gloomhaven. That is just like a massive affair of stuff that didn't necessarily need to, to have all of these moving parts. It's impractical to set up and take down, um, for instance. Mm -hmm. But like, but, I don't know. 
But I'm not. I don't that, think that people should stop doing that. To me, to me, it's weird to complain about gimmicks, but gimmicks are what make games unique to some degree. And maybe he's using it for a different word than me. But I think a gimmick is actually just the hook. It's like something that is unique, that is special. And often we crave like these little special things that make that game so much different from another because visually when I look at the table, I mean, at the end of the day, if we wanted to just work out probabilities and you just enter things into a calculator. We might as well play like, a we could, about game. Well, and like everything could be decided by just like cards. Like yeah. why do we have dice? You know what yeah. I mean? Like they're, they're more expensive. You know, like, like everything could be reduced down to that, that argument of, it's a gimmick. Yeah, or it's impractical. Or, or it's it costs impractical. too much. And I think the it's fact like, that I you need to understand is that games are a luxury that. item. And yeah. at the point, they're not. They're necessary for human beings to live, right? So not maybe not our games, maybe not hobby games, but gaming in general. Um, yep. Moving on, Sam's next point is that we need to stop playtesting only within your own group. I will agree. Yeah, I agree. And we've already covered it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next point, um, he talks about not wanting, you need to stop throwing in the kitchen sink. And I think we already yeah. talked about that too, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then, oh, here's one that's interesting. Sam says that designers should stop designing long games. I think as revenge, we should all design some long games that work. Well, Actually, no, but this is, no, I think he's suckering us. I think this is a trap. Yeah. I think, group. I, I think this is a I trap because. the longest game. Yes, out of the out of that group, Sam he put that on there for Z, I believe. Sam Z does not like long games. Because because I was gonna say he complained about how at the gathering they were all short little Euro games. Yeah, so I, I think this is a sucker bet. Don't bet on this one. <laughs> uh, and and again, like I said, I think the world is in revolving door, and we'll see longer games come to the forefront. Maybe not as long as Twilight Imperium or any of the you know really long war games that, you know, Dylan and I are used to playing and seeing. But I think we're going to see that bounce back to, you know, two-hour games, two-and-a-half-hour games, instead of these 45 minutes, one-hour games, right? Mega Civ came out in the last few years. Yeah, now, Mega Civ uh, is an acquired taste, right? Yeah, that's 18 hours to do it. So I was actually thinking about this this morning on my walk to work, and it, it, this one, for whatever reason, struck a chord with me as one of those great examples of really denying a designer a spark. And uh, so I was thinking, like, how could I design a ga game to, to break this rule? And I think designers out there, pick a rule and design a game that breaks it. Like, that breaks yes. it so hard. Yeah. So hard. And so I was thinking, what would I design? I would design a game that takes a week to play. <laughs> and actually, and, and it would work. Uh, a game that you can simply play in 15-minute sessions uh, over a number of days or whatever. Like if you if you know you're going to be hanging out over over a weekend, you can play in a 30-minute session for three days. Yes. And that's it. Why would I limit? That's a freaking long game. There's maybe you're going to be negotiating with other players throughout the rest of that period. It's all interaction. Who knows? But you can design stuff that breaks these rules completely and come up with really innovative games like that. I hope you do. Mm-hmm. We used to yes. play diplomacy like that when I was in college. Yeah, right? We had like a scheduled half hour meeting in the evening every day when we would uh, put through our turns. Mm -hmm. And we played it and over the course of weeks. I mean, isn't that really just role playing then? <laughs> just kidding. 
Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Don't you start. <laughs> the diplomacy, diplomacy purists will get their daggers out and stick them in my back. Um, all right, we're on to Z's top 10 things designers need to stop doing. Um, First, we need to stop pronouncing his name as Z. It's Zed. Well, he's American, so it's Z. Yeah, uh, we're here. His first one, I think, is very similar to Tom's first one, which is asking players to fill in design gaps. Uh, Jesse, you weren't here when we talked about that. And I don't actually think he's talking about playtesting. I think he's talking about actually playing the game now. Yeah, I think he's actually talking about making the players do the, 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 the balance or the finishing touches. Or Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Jesse, uh, Gloomhaven expert? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Um, I'm not going to relate it to Gloomhaven. I'm, I think there's a difference, but so for one, um, and maybe it's just the people I play test with, but I can't stop my playtesters from trying to fix my design. I mean, they just start telling me what they think I should do. Most of the I time, I actually just ignore them. But anyway, right? Like it's like I have to cultivate this like non-defensive response so that I can try and figure out what the real clues are in there attempts to solve the design problems they've imagined. Okay, so now um, what about once your once a design is published, would you would you or do have you played a game where oh, the designer like has, the Serlin effect? Yeah, probably where the designer has sort of left it in yes. left the players to fill in gaps. Right. And then you release second and third editions. You release a new edition every year where you tweak the balance based on what the community's done with the game. Yeah. Maybe that's I what he's talking think, about. So I think that's not acceptable in a physical game medium. Yeah. Me too. Um, I think that's something that video game developers and designers, it's totally like a great thing to be able to do with a medium like that. But I mean, with board games, you have to create new products, you have to market new products, and you have to compel your, your, um, customers to buy new products. I, I just think it creates a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Um, just be confident in what you put out there. And if it's broken or doesn't work, like update little pieces in expansions that actually make the game better. Endless Space 2, which I will rep eternally because it's an awesome game, uh, and you should buy it. Endless Space <laughs> 2. Uh, their entire design methodology is um, effectively crowdsourced. Uh, they've got boards where people are constantly doing exchanges like uh, they've got a reputation system they've got all sorts of stuff they've been going for years now uh, effectively getting feedback from their players and this is like this is built into their design methodology so yeah you can do it in the electronic medium in the cardboard medium not so much yeah unless there's, um, unless there's app integration right yeah so that would be kind of the the hybrid right. borderline right Cool. Um, Z's next point is designers need to stop playtesting for mechanisms instead of emotions. Interesting point. What's your take on this? I, think this, is the most, I, I think this is the most interesting point on the entire list. Me yes. too. Yes. We could have a whole episode about it. In fact. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't even want us to talk about that one. We'll table it? Because it doesn't fit. Table that. We're tabling that one, Z. We'll, That's we'll get the American to that as a, meaning of table. Possibly a whole episode on that. Okay, next point. Uh, adding too many variants. Oh, interesting. Jess, thoughts on variants? Mm, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I see his point, but on the other hand, like you could just not read those four, those two pages of the rule book that are at the back, because there's certainly people in the world who are appreciative of the variants. So, 
I mean, I'll go back to the thing I said before, uh, the glib remark before of, you know, you are not the only audience of game players in the world. Yeah. So Ethan Lim is going to the park. Just so you all know, that's what he was asking me. Bye, Ethan. Um, okay, Daryl, you have a point. Yeah, well, I mean, so a comical experience. My very, I can't remember if it was my first or my second Dice Tower review, but Caffeine Rush. Um, the, the way that rule book is structured is that I said I would like to have as, as short a rules as possible, and then people can mix and match the variants that they would like to play with. Uh, so that people can learn the game as fast as possible and then have modular elements to the game that they can try combinations of them. Uh, which uh, me and Stephen were very excited about doing for Caffeine Rush, and so that's how the rules are set up. The downfall of that, and maybe where this comment is coming from, is I believe Dice Tower doesn't read variants. So uh, when they reviewed the game, they literally complained... They had, like, five complaints, and they were variants one, two, three, four, and five. Um, and then the funny part was near the end of the video where they started talking about them out loud and then realizing, oh, these are maybe all the things we just talked about. Well, maybe read the variants. And then that was the end of the video. So I would suggest that maybe this is just a personal pet peeve of theirs, and to tell others that this is a do or don't is very odd. Because it's just a structure. If you throw it in or you say ideal play or I, I think variance is just giving players the, the permission to say, have fun with this. Make some house rules. Choose which rules you enjoy the most. How can that be a bad thing? Yeah, I don't know. Um, the other thing, hey, it got dark in here all of a sudden. Oh, because he turned off the lights on his way out, maybe. Uh, Might have done that by habit. Um, or the sun went down in some some aspect. The other thing that uh, you know comes out with this one with adding too many variants is yes, there should be always one prime best way to do things. I believe, anyways, design wise, there's one good way to play it. That's the way we set out at the beginning. But that doesn't discount that there might be other ways. Or when we add you know other materials in like expansions or this in the box expansion or the standalone expansion that's also a game in itself whatever whatever adding to it might change the way it's played and I, I think that's safe and okay um where you might be right daryl in the fact that maybe we should start as rules writers is putting not the variants at the front but maybe putting a note about the variants at the front hey if you want if once you're done this check the Variants list at the back. I don't know. But I, I think there's a lot of ways to play that are left unexplored because people don't look at the variants as much as we think they do. I don't know. Jess? Or oh, sorry, Dylan? They said we go uh, to you. Santorini. Yeah? Uh, it's a brilliant core game. It's chock full of variants that will probably give you thousands upon thousands of different uh, game conditions and it also breaks a couple of the previous rules because a lot of those variants or a lot of the gods were sourced from killer players of the game so <laughs> players were assisting in the game uh, being being brought to table uh, yeah I mean we can we can always look for games that break these rules and so I still keep encouraging people to break them yeah, I mean, the real successes are the ones that actually probably broke the rules the most or maybe they I'm not sure if they're 
successes because they broke the rules, but they are successes despite breaking the rules. Uh, Jesse, is there any points that you'd like to talk about variants? Uh, no, I already already added my bit to that. It sounds like a personal preference. Like Daryl said, uh, one can always just ignore that part of the rule book. Mm -hmm. There's no extra cost for adding it. Do it. Yep. In fact, add variants. You fill up all the space in the rule book. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to leave enough white space that the graphic designers will be happy with. Well, I mean, yeah, well, all things considered. All variant book. No rules, just variant rules. I love it. I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, if you think about uh, like junk art, that's all it is. Junk art is one core book and then everything else is variant. Everything about that game is a variant. See, if we weren't designing games with lots of variants, we wouldn't have junk art. Right? Um, looking at the next point that Z makes is we should stop adding dumb shout this rules. Somebody keeps forgetting to make pew pew noises in Mag Blast. <laughs> That's right. I'm telling you, this has got to be what I, I swear it's just because they forget to do it in the games that call for it, and that's why they don't like it. I mean, maybe. Because like, I, I know people who get engaged by that stuff. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I think yeah. this comment oh. is always relative. I think this comment is always relative to the amount of alcohol someone has consumed. Yeah. Maybe. Jess? Oh, I was just, I was putting my hands up as someone who really enjoys these kinds of mechanics. I'm pretty sure it's Heroes Wanted, but I didn't want to say that out loud and get it wrong. But there's, you know, a superhero-y game where there's like a, a social, you get a bonus if you like are kind of in character in like weird ways. That is my favorite part about whatever game that is. And I, yeah. It, it might be, but it, yeah. It I be. think I think that kind of thing draws like, certain people into the game and that's wonderful. If it, if it makes a game more accessible and if it's not a core rule that you have to do it, yeah. because for and, some people that could make them uncomfortable. And honestly, from, from like a marketing sales standpoint, it gets attention, right? I mean, the only reason why I ever played that superhero game, whatever it's called that I can't remember now, that one time that I did was because I was at a, a pub gaming event and I heard someone in the table beside me going like talking like a pirate and the other person kept shouting like for the benefit of the city before he did everything on his turn i was like what are they doing i need to do that that's funny because andy just andy literally just wrote talking like a pirate on the feed and we're gonna get to talking like a pirate later too just a, a you know a foreshadowing um okay we're on to a couple things here uh z asks us as designers to stop making your game for everyone I kind of agree that you kind of have to go hard and lean one way. Uh, making a game for absolutely everybody typically means that nobody's going to be happy, but there's probably exceptions to that rule. Dylan, what are your thoughts? Make a game you like. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. Like you're not making it. I mean, yeah, okay. You know, artists don't create art that they. Okay, I shouldn't go down that road. There people who want to design something, who have that spirit that JR was talking about earlier, that want to kind of put themselves out there, they're designing something they want to design. Yeah, Angry JR was hilarious. Angry JR was hilarious. But, but, but know that it's not going to be for everybody. I think no, that's exactly. kind of the point he's making. I don't know. Daryl, your thoughts? That's a good point. I will, I will throw in, and this is endless loop, so I don't want to go far, far down this bunny trail. And I think Dylan was starting to hint at it, but the whole artist versus rock star. Yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I've definitely had many debates with Eric Lang where he has said in so many words, and I will, I will say I'm misparaphrasing him by saying 
that uh, it's not worth making if not a lot of people are going to buy it. There is a level of uh, of uh, a games uh, a games evaluation of if it is good. In that, if lots of people enjoy it, then and you're trying to create it as your employment and for a company to reach lots of people, and that is your purpose, then there is some argument to be made there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like different strokes for different folks as always, right? Um, next point, overcomplicating rules is something we should stop doing, or concepts. Overcomplicating concepts is something we should stop doing. I think that's a general agree. Overcomplication never solved anything. Well, I think that's a case. I think it's a design philosophy. Yeah. I'm, I mean, that's a design philosophy, but, like, I have friends who love Twilight Imperium because it's obtuse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I can see that. Right? Um, that's an audience. And you yeah. don't... battles, ASL. Right. Yeah, so that you we're talking about crunch, like some real severe crunch in some of those games. Um, I don't necessarily think that's overcomplicating. But then again, I, I like those games, so there you go. I might point to something like how sports fans love all the minutiae of the minor details of mm-hmm. all the little rules as an example of Chin does have people fall deeper down the rabbit hole if there's an opportunity to explore because of overcomplication. Yeah. Yeah, and I learned the positron flywheel rules in Starfleet Battles for precisely that reason. Because they were <laughs> completely obscure and exploitable. <laughs> no, well, no, look yeah. at section five, blah, 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 blah. Positron okay, well, flywheel, okay. I can totally so, do that. So by, by, Z's, by Z's point, magic would never work. Magic the Gathering never will work. Correct. I, I have on, on the account of several pro players that it actually works. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> stealing ideas. He says we should stop stealing ideas and instead borrow them. So what are your thoughts on that? Can I jump in on this? Yeah. Can we, can, can we table this one? Because this is probably another... Whole episode? Really? You think Maybe it's that complicated? I think this is the second most interesting comment of his. Sure. Cool. We'll is table that for defining, later. Defining the difference between borrow and steal. That's, that, that is a good topic. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. No, if it's something a philosopher could publish on, it's worth a whole episode, I guess. I guess, right? <laughs> Goddamn philosophers. And they're talking. Um, the la- oh, the, yeah, so the eighth thing that Z says we should stop doing as designers is having no feedback loop between theme and mechanisms. I'm going to agree in yes. that case. Yes. Seems like a loaded question. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, yeah, you know. Like, for some of these like that, that are like this, it makes me wonder what they're really thinking of. Because if, if you're sitting there saying, designers, stop doing this, you're thinking that they're pointing at, like, you know, endemic problems that plague so many games that we see. Yeah. That, like, is it just that they got burned by Kickstarter a dozen times last year and they're, like, just grieving their loss? But they don't even do Kickstarter. They don't do Kickstarters. I don't even know what, what, like, what. I played this one game and I really didn't like these aspects of it. Everybody stopped doing this bad thing. It's a trend. It has to be quantity. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yes, definitely don't do that. Yeah. But is it a trend? I don't know. Uh, it makes it sound okay. like it's a trend, right? Yeah. I don't know. Games uh, that say uh, that they've got a theme and then aren't about that theme really piss me off. But I don't know if that's exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, I think that is kind of. Um, Trajan, I'm looking at you. Right, I, I knew you were going to say that. God damn it. Um, designers also need to stop sticking with arbitrary limitations. I say you should always have an arbitrary limitation. Yeah, you need restraints. What What is a design restraint? Yeah. I don't think anyone who's ever designed a game could agree to that. Yeah. Me too. Um, it's like the, okay, never make up a rule. Just always <laughs> go with it. <laughs> I mean, it, the whole thing is making rules. But by design, games are con games are about playing within constraints. Yeah. As as a plumber, never use a pipe. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is actually uh, I like a, a kind of movie example for this. You get David Lynch, who's making all sorts of incredible movies, and then he's basically given carte blanche. You can have as much money as you want. We will throw it at you. No no budget is too big, and he makes Dune. And it's one of the most panned movies in history. Now, I love Dune, and like I kind of like the movie, but the movie is not well made. As soon as the, the constraints were off, he made crap. <laughs> it's like you need constraints as a designer. As a designer. It's a tool. Uh, you know, I, I think you're right, because as, as you'll find out, if you look at sophomore albums from like most famous bands that you know and like, you'll find that their second album once they got that unlimited studio budget and things like that, it's not as good as their first raw sound, right? In a lot of cases, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, the evidence is, is there. Um, and that people need these limitations and constraints to actually produce what they do. Uh, you know, they might say necessity is the mother of all invention. We might say constraint is the mother of all games or something like that. I don't know. Um, yeah, so... There's, there's a lot of things with that that, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure why he said exactly what he said. I'm going to have to go back and watch the video later to see, you know, what, it, what was up with that particular one. And then um, Z's last thing to stop doing is chasing down jokes or fads. So, like, all the things that are, like, hashtag related or emoji related, things like that, maybe is what he's talking about. I, I, you know, I tend to agree those are really low-hanging fruit, but whatever. What they sell. Yeah, I think that's a that's a judgment statement of basically saying like, uh, Gen Con is better than New York Toy Fair, right? Or I'm too cool like, for that. Okay, yeah, like it's just like okay, well, you're a different client, like you have different tastes. And again, that's not good advice for designers because if they are low hanging fruit, someone's got to pick them. And if you're not designing yeah. games that can fit those niches, that will never be you. Yeah, and right. You might make a living. No, and seriously. enjoy it, and be seriously. good at it, and <laughs> and maybe the game you're really, I, really passionate about is a game about hashtags. I just uh, I just noticed that Darren is Ross, there a new beer? Well, Darren Ross, from, who created designed Super Fight and things like that, which is one of those types of games that isn't exactly world beating in terms of game design, but sold really well and is popular. Um, you know, he is he chasing down fads? Is he chasing down things like that or? Going with a trend? Is that okay? Oh my god, a reviewer's in the house. Uh -oh. Yeah, I was just gonna say, enemy, enemy, breach. 
<laughs> Exterminate. Right. Well, at least it's a bearded, uh, a bearded reviewer. Yeah, at least he has a beard, so that That's makes important. him... Now I'm one. I almost didn't last week. I was this close to taking it all off. All of it? Yeah. Just, even the, even the mustachio. I'm going through stuff, so. I think you should like leave right. the mutton chops and the mustache. I'm glad you didn't take it off, bro. Dude, Me could too. you do it oh, so you oh. take off this part but leave everything else connected? <laughs> and then I could do a design of my back, back hair and bring it on the face. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. No. If we're going to do it, do it for charity. We'll do it at Origins. Sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see here. Um, we're, we're, we're down to the last 10, and this is actually perfect because uh, Tyler's here. So these are the 10 things that Eric Martin, who is not on the Dice Tower, he's part of BGG, thinks that designers need to stop doing. We need to stop sacrificing goats in an attempt to land a contract with a publisher. We're running out of goats, people. Thoughts on that? Um, no, because there's a billion games out there and everyone's already copying everyone else. So if yours is just a little bit different, go do it. So many so different types of mechanics done so many different ways. So if the goat so sacrifice gives us that leg up, we're good. If the goat, goat sacrifice gives you the leg Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and also I like goat. I like curried goats. So yeah. as long oh, as you're yeah. doing it in an environmentally conscious way where you it's, slaughter the goat and give it to me, I can smoke it and cook it. Oh. It also sounds like it, what it really means is we just need to have more goat farms. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what? Near, I think goats near, are really cool. proximity to game designers. Right. Yeah. right. Game designers should move to the mountains where the goats live. Mm. Yes. D D Dylan and I would agree. Ah. I've already got the beard for it. Right. I think Jesse should answer number two. Okay. Jesse, um, Eric suggests that game designers need to stop talking like a pirate, especially when explaining rules because it was never funny. I'll do what I want. Arr. <laughs> Yar. Yar. Uh, can't tell me what to do. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, talking like a pirate and getting into the game is fun. Uh, whether or not we're doing it while we're explaining rules, I think that's questionable. That, that's a little bit... Uh, it's only acceptable one day of the year. Of the year. Right. Oh, yeah. So What's a pirate's favorite letter? R? You think it would be R, but their true love is the C. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you got me on that one. Oh, my God. Uh, Andy Jewett says that Eric Martin is wrong because talking like a pirate is rad. Also, anybody who says rad is always right. <laughs> yeah, true, true. True, true. And, and he's always right anyways, but on top of that, because he's rad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Rad. All right, number three for Dylan. Yes. Uh, Dylan, you should stop as a designer eating with your mouth open while sitting behind us during a play test. No one wants to hear you snacking on your mac and cheese. I drew the beard so you couldn't like it muffles. It's supposed to. There's cushioning. You not. You can't see in here. <laughs> God damn it! And then the mac and cheese gets stuck yeah. in your beard, which is why I do not have one, so that no food ever gets stuck in my beard. I've I've seen I've seen Tyler eat many a time. Stuff get oh look stuff <laughs> definitely gets stuck in there like like pencil crayons apparently. D Dylan <laughs> could stick up. Jesse doesn't have enough of a beard to do that with now. Daryl, you could stick some stuff I in there, I'm trimmed. sure. You just trimmed? Did I you use your nice it. beard oil? And I got my beard oil rocking, so. Gotta good, good, good. Um, number four. Uh, Daryl, you need to stop giving all of us nicknames, uh, all the playtesters nicknames, because you can't remember their real names. Just stop that. 
that short round. <laughs> All right, there, big guy. Um, you need to stop offering to blow on their dice, Tyler, before people roll them. Cheese breath. <laughs> do you actually like cheese? Uh, I do, but if I eat too much, I won't poop, so there's a limit. <laughs> yeah, apparently not in what you talk about online. <laughs> but okay. Uh, Jesse, uh, as a designer, you need to stop attempting to incorporate live shrimp as a game component. Simon's <laughs> Limited already signed a design that does that. So no more live shrimp, Jesse. I knew Hi. it was going to be the next fad. I was on top of it, and I it just I didn't realize. Why are you I was thinking about yesterday's innovations? You were, you are behind the, the trend eight ball. Apparently, yeah. I get waffle, waffle pretzels <laughs> fed to me by yeah. little Asian kids. I'm just gonna have oh. to find some other kind of vicious sea monster to use in the design. Mm. Then. Well, I mean, those, those particular those mantis shrimp are pretty darn cool. That's right. Oh, ah, I'll one-up Simon. They think they've got pretty miniatures, but if I know anything, I just need bigger, more fancy sculpted miniatures. So you're right, Sen. Bigger, more fancier shrimp. Mantis right. shrimp. Live mantis can shrimp. I, yeah, watch for can it. I say something in regard to the point I made when I first came on about you know people taking an idea and just spinning it and stuff and mm -hmm. all the mechanics there? Um, indie cards and games and uh, action phase, uh, they did Kadama which was just a spin on Kigi, and that now they have done a spin on Avenue, but kept it in the same Kadama world. Personally, I think it's a great idea, because one, it'll sell more games, but they've just reskinned it and reworked it with a much nicer theme that keeps the games together, and I think it's a good thing. So, mm -hmm. as long as they're, as long as people, publishers are very clear, like maybe on the BGG page, how it was re-implemented or what it re-implements, so that I don't yep. buy two copies of the things. And apparently, they can't eat mac and cheese behind the playtest. <laughs> well, maybe you should just stop in because you open with, eat with your mouth open. Um, uh, Daryl, you need to stop wearing a bow tie. Someone else already has that look on lock. It ain't you. Yeah. Tail Tail Revere gets the bow tie. Yeah. I even saw him rock a wood. He rocked a wooden bow tie. Yes, a wooden one. It's true. That's that 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 calls shotgun on. That's on, quite literally hardcore. Okay. So all respect. Uh, yes, <laughs> Dylan. Uh, you need to stop promising to include uh, Eric Martin as a playable character in your game about homicidal dildos. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's a mad fantastic level of play right there. I um, thought that that was reasonable. I mean, people would think that that was a big gap in the game if I left that out. Yes, but it's not an incentive to keep playtesting. Eric uh, would like you to know that. <laughs> so would Matt Fantastic. Jesse, Jesse, keep stop asking. Stop, stop, keep ask, stop. I'm going to keep stop asking to keep asking to stop. Yes, stop, stop asking that. if the game, if your game is too much like Scythe, you already know it is. Oh, them's fighting words. <laughs> them's fighting words. I was gonna say. <laughs> As a bunch of people who are not too overly fond of sight. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, scythe. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. I, I, you know, I'll openly admit oh. that I, I'm not a fan of that game as it as it is as I played it. Yeah. Um, and, and Tyler, last thing, stop asking Eric Martin. Um, to sit on your lap so that you can better understand his experience as a player. He's not falling for that line again. Well, I just thought we would talk about the first thing that popped up. 
Oh, low hanging fruit. Low hanging fruit. Oh. Low hanging fruit. Um, no, I'm. I, I don't like people in my bubble, and I know there's a whole. Oh, at conventions, and oh, we got to be more inclusive, and oh, we're all one. There's some people I'm just not going to get along with, and some people I'm not going to play games with. Don't be offended if I just say, "Yeah, I'm not playing." Sorry, whether you're sitting on my lap or not. <laughs> that is that is a warning. That is a warning to all you at Origins. Yeah, he probably yeah. doesn't. Want, he doesn't. He probably doesn't want to play with you. Yeah, <laughs> not you, but you. Don't yeah. get in my bubble. Okay, cool. And I so, just found out today I what? got the time off, so I will be at Origins Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Woo! We'll be there. We're leaving Wednesday, Jess. Yeah. After work, uh, so I'll come get you after work. I'm gonna get the car tuned up next week, and we'll be all ready to go. Daryl, when are you heading down? You're heading down early. Oh no, you're heading down. Monday. You're heading down. Yo, you are heading down earlier. Okay. Are you? Do you have yeah. a booth? Monday. Monday to Monday. Are you having a booth? Are you working the booth for IDW? Or I'm, no? I am. If anyone would like to pitch a game to IDW, my my schedule is getting really close to full, but I would love to try to arrange a time to see your game. Um, I'm also probably doing all the media for IDW right now because we're missing. <laughs> that makes uh, sense. So I will also be kind of wearing that hat um, but, so if anybody's uh, interested in a job working media for IDW, maybe I don't know. That might well, be a funny, thing. Daryl, because I'm going to pitch you a game about Glass zombie and drafting them. Yeah, it'll have some. Well, yeah. Phrase is I always say, just make sure to bring the rules and the prototype and some play test results. Those are that important. Filters things. out almost. Everybody, I played it with my mom. Is that okay, Daryl? Yes, your mom I'm gonna, is. I'm gonna ask you to finish my gamer. design for me. Is right. that is that a problem, Daryl? If you follow all these rules, <laughs> I I don't want to see your game. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, mean, that? Yeah. I sacrificed a goat. Is that okay? If you I followed a, Eric's rule, I got a pentagram tattoo. Depending how you look at it. Sen, that's only okay if you smoke it and bring that. Oh, yeah, Daryl would oh. like that. Daryl would like that. All right, cool. Um, it is 4.43. Is there anything oh, else we'd like to talk about? We've been talking for almost two hours now. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I'm like, what is going on with I'm your like, eye? For what? I'm a pirate. Arr. Arr. I'm going to go pick Tanya up. I'm late. Oh, yeah, well, then you should probably go. We'll see you later, Daryl. Okay, everybody else. Um, Jesse, are you going to be at where are you tonight? Are you at Cardboard Cafe? I think so. We might be late. We're going to go out for dinner, but uh, that's, yeah, that's, I'll be that's a good thing to do. Go out for dinner. Uh, Dylan, how are how's everything in France? Everything going okay? It's dark here, Sin. Are the wolves howling? <laughs> Actually, uh, we've got a couple of friends. We're going to go out for a boys' board gaming weekend. Up in Normandy on the seacoast. Nice. Uh, what games are you going to play? Uh, we've got Eclipse. Probably going to do TI. Maybe try some Samurai Swords, some uh, Nexus Ops. Basically, everything old and Ameritrashy. So, conflicty and long. Conflicty, long, big. That's okay. You got the time. Well, enjoy that. 
And, and Tyler, it's good news that you're coming to Origins. Uh, where can we find you when we're at Origins? I, I will be all over Origins. I'll actually have buttons and t-shirts to give away uh, because I have a bunch of people I want to give them to, so I'll have some extras. And I will be at Cardboard Cafe in about 45 minutes myself. Awesome. And if you want to find Jesse and I while you're at uh, Origins, we'll be at the Lion Rampant Imports booth teaching games and getting our game on and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know exactly what we're pitching this year. Who knows if anything? We're a little bit behind the eight ball on some other projects. So um, we might not get anything ready for Origins, and that's okay. That's life. Um, but yeah, we'll see you there. Uh, signing off for Meeple Syrup. It was awesome seeing you all. Thanks very much to everybody in the feed. Sir Bob, Andy, Gwyn. Um, I'm going to say Dylan Kirk, but he's here already. Uh, everybody who, who participates in the feed, you guys are wonderful. We'll see you hopefully <coughs> next week for a pre-origin show. Uh, the week of origins, none of us will be here. Uh, Dylan will still be in France, so we we'll probably won't have a show unless we do some kind of weird live feed from Origins, in which case Dylan may not be involved. But we'll see you guys all later. And thanks, everybody, for showing up, hanging out with us. And we'll see you all soon. So play some games. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.